Welcome to our open source startup podcast. This is Tim from SNSVC and Ravi from Cowboy Ventures. We're super excited to have Pablo, the CEO of Penpot, to be on our podcast. Penpot is the first open source design and prototyping platform meant for multifunctional teams. So welcome, Pablo. Thank you very much for having me. This is super exciting. So we were incredibly excited to have you on because Penpot has really been making headlines with the Figma acquisition. And we have so many questions that we're going to dig into around getting designers into open source. But I think where we want to start is really the founding story because Penpot's been around for like long before the Figma acquisition was announced. So why don't we start at the beginning? Where did the idea come from and where did Penpot start? Yeah, I think it's important because the more I think about the foundation story, the more I think it was not, it was, it was perhaps us to create Penpot, right? Um, at first, it, it felt like an accident, but the more I think the, the, about the story, the less the accident, I, I guess. So you have to think this company called Kaleidos that had both developers and designers really respecting each other, working together in unison, making sure that we had beautiful code, but also beautiful software and adhering to open standards and open source. And this, this collaboration ethos, which is key in, you know, in how you create and build amazing software, demanded that we have the right tools for the team. And the right tools, we started with uh, Taiga, T-A-I-G-A, which was a lean process tool for designers to um, enjoy Agile, basically, you know, whether it's the Scrum or Kanban. And we made sure that designers would be welcoming such lean process. And that was a while ago. And so everyone, you know, was happy and we had great traction in terms of how actually people would be adopting Taiga elsewhere. And particularly, we were able to tackle on bigger projects, more challenging projects. But that came at a cost. That meant that designers were now belonging to the lean process, to the agile process, being able to have a say and, and in, in what scope meant and being able to uh, just design and 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 wireframe and prototype bigger things, right? So we hit this scale up issue, where designers would have tremendous problems with how to just design more, faster, bigger, with engineers that were used to scale up everything because that's what engineers do, right? They scale up. That's the that's they just identify what's the human factor that really matters. The rest we automate, right? That that's my background, by the way. Uh, engineering and science. So since we are pro open source, we wanted to make sure that the tools that we use for designers were also open source and adhere to open standards. And I think it doesn't come as a surprise that there's nothing really in terms of real-time collaboration for designers in open source to design a prototype. So we decided to build it, to create that, to give designers something just massively different so that we could continue to collaborate as a team, as a multifunctional team, but everyone joining, you know, and enjoying the, the best tools that they had. Engineers would still, you know, just pick what they wanted in open source, and also designers would do that. But the twist here is that we didn't want to just, uh, because of our collaboration ethos, we didn't want to build a silo tool, like a tool just meant for designers, so they could use their, uh, you know, they enjoy their design process within the tool, like a their private place where they go to design, collaborate, and then us developers or engineers just wait for, for the outcome, to, for the handoff. We didn't want that. So from the very beginning, we decided that we had to go beyond the traditional design tools and build one that would actually welcome developers into the design process, right? So that closing the loop. So designers went to the lean process, reluctantly, I have to say, at first, 
And now developers are welcome into the design process. We thought the only way we could do this differently from the status quo, the industry standards that everyone I think knows about, you know, the Envision, Adobe XD, Sketch, Figma. Not many. It's a quite tough uh, market to enter because the, the talent that you need, the investment that you need to develop such tool is massive. It's not the average, you know, a product. It's actually critical that you nail it. So we wanted to go beyond that. And we thought open source and open standards would be uh, key elements of that. But on top of that, we would go for the collaboration aspect uh, with designers and developers. And that happened two years ago. We decided to go all in, just ditch uh, whatever other consultancy you know, projects that we did uh, for Kaleidos and just focus on, on our open source products. And uh, we went alpha with Penpot. That was a year and a half ago. We were number, you know, uh, product of the day on product hunt and stayed a few hours also on Hacker News front page and all that. And we saw the love um, by both designers and developers. Regardless of the open source nature of Penpot, they were welcoming this new approach of collaboration. Who doesn't like collaboration, right? So it's just, just not only collaboration between developers, not only collaboration between designers, but everyone invited to that. And uh, we also launched our beta a year ago, and we are now ready to launch our GA in a few weeks, actually. But of course, we also enjoyed this breaking moment. We'll surely talk about that. That happened September 15th. I will never forget that date, because that date was when Adobe and Figma announced that we're acquiring, you know, Adobe was acquiring Figma. And that was clearly a, a breaking moment for us, an eye-opener for the design community that we have uh, been privileged to witness. Yeah, you talked a lot of great points, actually. So we definitely want to unpack a little bit more. So sure. definitely want to start with the open source side, right? Because there is not a lot of tooling. There are open source design tools, obviously. But they I think you are. are trying to build open source, like I said, a prototyping with developers and designers able to collaborate together. And you talk about open standards quite a lot, right? So I, I think maybe we should start some level here. Let's start with the open standards. We know mm -hmm. a lot of image formats are open standards, but why open source? Why does a tool like this has to be open source? And what does that bring to either developers or designers that, hey, I, me using a non-open source tool, I couldn't get some level of openness. And now with an open source tool, I could. What is that difference like for end users? Maybe you can elaborate more there. Yeah, I think there are two main reasons why open source for a design prototype tool. The first one is that you think about it in the whole software development pipeline, the only big element that is missing in the open source ecosystem is design and prototyping. You know, and design has grown in importance. You know, design is eating software faster than software is eating the world. Like design is a key differentiator. Design is a way for technology to meet the end user faster and better. And people are realizing that. So it's about time that design and prototyping and design. So it's not design with a capital D, like design in general, like architecture or art. I'm here very humble to say it's just, it's just you know, quote unquote, just design and prototyping in, in, in software that has some interactions and with the user, right? Some interface that has grown so much in importance, and yet it's been a way you know, taking apart from the established end-to-end -end development pipeline. Is the the big missing block there? So I think it's just it's a cycle, and we come to this moment, and the, the product team say, "Wait a minute, you know, this feels awkward. 
right? Why are we why are we having all these CI/CD databases, machine learning, you know, everything, frameworks, uh, data, you know, whatever, network stacks, everything is open source, and yet the design tool, which is key for innovation and inception of the product, is still a, you know part of the realm of the old regime where everything is closed source, et cetera, et cetera, and owned by megacorps. So I think it's just a matter of the cycle. But there's another key element why open source, which is we need developers to care about the design process. And one way to make sure developers care about the design process and really enjoy it is to give them open source. Otherwise, you're going to continue to see developers understanding design process, appreciating design process, but really not engaging with the design process. And as long as that happens, we're going to have the handoff mindset. We're going to have this back and forth. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave a comment and continue with my own tooling, right? Because somehow it doesn't feel right for me to be part of something that is not part of my mindset ecosystem. So by providing developers with an open source design and prototype tool, they are feeling this is this is familiar to me. This speaks to me. And so suddenly I'm interested and we need developers to be interested. At the end of the day, in teams, you have the ratio, typically the ratio these days is one designer, like equivalent, full-time equivalent, one designer per eight developers. These days, this is what you get like on average. It, it used to be one per 15. So the ratio was worse. And back, you know, you go back in time, it was even worse than that, like one in 20, right? So if you work to get the attention of four out of eight developers in an average team into the design process, everyone's going to win in the end. Like also designers. Designers do need developers to care about the design process. So this is uh, like staged, you know, phased out process. Developers care about open source. We will give them a design tool that is open source. So they somehow use that a vehicle to for them to care about design, design process. And that allows designers to have developers closer to them and to their process. And that's a win for designers because designers' goal is to define and design something that gets built how it was conceived, right? And that's not happening these days. It's fascinating. I think whenever, to your point, when you're thinking about trying to get a new function into a function that they're not as familiar with, having tooling that they're familiar with is a good way to do that. But I, I imagine there was more to it than just giving developers an open source tool. There's education and just like, I'm sure different learnings and things that you did to try and get developers excited about doing more in the design process. And we see so many and, and talk to so many founders of open source companies that are trying to, in some ways, create a new workflow. So I just want to kind of double click on other than making it open source, which is, I'm sure, just a huge component of getting developers excited. What else did you do to try and just kind of change the way that companies were working and how their workflows for design worked? Well, of course, if you have an open source platform that you can hack into, you can extend, adapt to your specific workflows your use case gets privileged, right? I think developers really enjoy that too. Everyone feels they are special. Who doesn't feel like they're special? This is a very particular use case. I'm different and set apart. Developers do value the potential of having such a tool, not just in terms of licensing. It's open source, so I like it. Okay, I lobby for this, but will I use it? Yeah, I will use it because I can integrate that into my existing pipeline. We're seeing that already. And people like having crazy ideas about how to integrate an open source design tool into their existing GitOps 
right? That is why I think it's as important as open source to, to discuss open standards. Because the fact that we are going very aggressively with uh, SVG, uh, so that design is code already, the, the, the design artifact is a code artifact. And we have open standards and W3C you know, backed industry standards. Also, it's exciting for developers. So they get the perfect blend. They have open standards and open source. They don't have open source and closed format or open standards and a closed source. You know, They have everything, basically. And uh, that is making sure that developers not just deploy PenPod, but actually go and use the design and code artifacts within PenPod. There's also one little nasty trick that we were using here is that choosing very, very smartly, I guess, we'll see how, how this goes, using developer vocabulary and terminology, abstractions and, and metaphors into the design tool so that a designer just has to learn just this dialect, this new dialect. They can use, you know, they can just design a prototype how it, you know, the same way as ever, but they're using this dialect, which is developer friendly or developer owned. And so that means there's, again, no loss in translation. So developers are very eager to go into the design tool that is basically speaking their language, right? So there's a lot of stake here. And this is, when I say we have this trick, is actually quite problematic. And I'll share our fear here. Our fear here is that if you go to that ratio, that one to eight ratio, you see that in numbers, developers just win, right? They are just more. Whatever they say, they they just make themselves like that. They are superpower, basically, right? And um, we must ensure that whatever we make for developers to feel super welcome and engage does not alienate designers in a design tool, because that would be so wrong. Like, um, so we we're building a design prototype tool for designers, and developers are taking over. Like they always do. I, you know, that's what we do. Like developers just overrule. So. It is a, it's a balance there. There's an important compromise that we have to make sure. So whenever you ask me, how are you making sure developers feel engaged with PenPod? It's a double-edged sword. It's like, we have this agenda, and at the same time, we cannot have everything super fast because we won't have a, the right balance, the right ratio in terms of who is leading the conversation. I hope I made myself roughly clear with, with this because honestly developers are lobbying hard for PenPod. That's that's the evidence. I have tons of evidence for that. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating of all the sort of benefits and also like what are the things you're trying to push for because you do have open source project. So maybe talk on the flip side. What are the challenges of trying to build a tool like this as an open source product? I think you already have the designer and developer, which is a very, very hard product to build in general, right? hmm. building collaborative from, from day one as well. There's architectural changes and things to have to build there. And you have templates and libraries and all that stuff. And now you're open source. I imagine open source actually doesn't make it easier. It could make it harder for you to manage potentially some aspects of it. Like maybe talk about some of the challenge that comes with being an open source project. First of all, let me share what are the uh, shared challenges as a design prototyping tool, because you have all of them. You have a whole lot. You have the product itself to build a design tool that allows people to design other tools to just, you know, have their imagination set free. It's not easy. 
you need amazing talent at the UX UI level. So that's a challenge in terms of just the, the product itself, you know, how to make sure that you don't feel constrained, that it's a, a natural extension of your brain, right? And has instant feedback and, and all that. And then you have the technological challenges. It has to be super fast, reliable, pixel perfect. You cannot, if you had some second class product here, it would be equivalent for a database to somehow return valid query output, right? Just sometimes you get what you, what you ask for. Sometimes you don't. Nobody would use that database, right? As a developer, you cannot do that with a design tool. You need a designer to feel like they're in control, like they can trust the tool. So those are shared challenges with anyone trying to make something. Around. Now, open source brings some challenges, extra challenges. The first one is what I just mentioned. The community that you're building is hybrid here. For the first time, we're building an open source community. I mean, I wouldn't say for the forever time, you know, first time ever, but developer and designer. The only similar communities I can think of is perhaps the Blender community and the Godot community, right? That they have this mixed, this hybrid feeling. That is a challenge because the way you ask for contributions, and this is key for any open source, otherwise you had just a license, but you are not going the open source path. The way you ask for contributions for us is going to be as critical to ask for code contributions as well as design contributions. You want really designers to contribute to Pempot. Otherwise, it would be weird to just allow for code contributions, but you cannot contribute in terms of the UI improvements, right? As a designer, it's an open source tool, but you typically don't have that type of contributions. Open source traditionally has lacked design contributions. So it is a specific challenge that we have to sort out design contributions uh, for Pempot. Then open standards is also a specific challenge. We're going SVG. We're very like strong about this. We're very opinionated about this. The, the competition doesn't go with that. They use other techniques to draw stuff on, on, on browsers. And we are going web standards. And that means SVG, basically, as you can imagine. And that has its own challenges. So when you rely on, on, on web standards, open standards, and browser technology, you're really building on top of you know, your own you know, uh, giant shoulders, but also you rely in terms of performance on top of these big vendors like Mozilla, uh, Chrome, uh, etc. So we have to invest much more talent and time in making sure that we make no compromise. People don't have to make compromises if they go open standards with us. And that is taking a, you know, a toll in terms of how much the team needs to go in terms of performance that perhaps in non-open standards approach that would not be necessary. So there's just a few of specific challenges, the contribution side, the community side, but also the open standards side. Awesome. And we definitely wanted to make sure that we had time to dig into the acquisition of Figma, because there was a tweet that you put out that basically showed SaaS signups. I think it was growing something like <laughs> 10x post-acquisition. And I think there was a lot of intrigue with that, where it was from the outside trying to unpack it. You could almost come up with reasoning of, oh, designers suddenly want an open source alternative to Figma. And they're worried that some of the core functionality of Figma is going to change or not get innovated on. But that's not, I, I feel like, that that might not all be the case. So I'd love to unpack that with you of why there was that spike in activity and interest post the Figma Adobe acquisition announcement. I'm part of the audience of this podcast, but I'm not sure I represent 
the average listener, right? So I'm, I'm not sure how much context uh, the audience had, they have uh, around what Adobe acquiring Figma meant for the design industry. It was tremendous. It was tremendous. It was, it was really the least expected move from the Figma user community. Perhaps it was a childish dream, but Figma users thought a Figma would acquire Adobe at some, at some point, that the rebels would overturn the empire, to use the uh, Star Wars metaphor. And what happens is that Emperor actually acquired Princess Leia. So this is massive emotional distress in the design community. The company that was born to go anti-Adobe conceded for some reason, you know, unfathomable. I mean, for me, I, I have my own theory of what happened, but uh, we will never know, or perhaps we, when we know, it will, it will be irrelevant. But what we saw as a reaction was designers, not developers. Developers were there just sitting saying, I told you so, I told you so, you know, that's, that's been the locking all along. Designers decided this is enough. This is not cool. This is bad. This is, this is betrayal, right? And I'm not going back to Adobe's hands. And I need to make sure that whatever, whenever, you know, wherever I invest, whatever I, new tool, new product I go with, it is like, impossible that this happens in four years time right and when they were looking for alternatives since this is a very in my way in my mind immature market you only have a handful of tools the only alternative they had was penpot but when they saw penpot they saw is this really different and they saw three things open standards so i own my design open source so there's no vendor locking and it's about collaboration with developers, which I, is, is something I care about. And I'm, I was already suffering from. It's an immediate sell. It's like th there's no way they can feel this is a trap. Also, going back to Star Wars, it's a trap. It's not a trap. And it feels genuine, honest, with an already existing community of people really welcoming. So they call themselves like FEMA refugees. It was their term, not mine. And they, they just found out Pempot and we saw... Not just this spike moment, like SaaS registrations and massive uh, on-premise deployments and all that, but actually it hasn't faded away. It just continues to grow. We are now in, in like the next level. You know, we are major league now. You can clearly see that on, on the metrics. And the ideas they bring, the innovation they are bringing, the reasons why they're excited is what was our breaking moment. The breaking moment was not growth in terms of just pure sign up metrics. Of course, it was massive, but like I'm now, you know, we all remember now the Mastodon thing and Twitter, you know, something like that without, you know, for, for a scale. But it was the strong validation of open standards. I own my design, open source, no vendor locking. The acquisition that could happen would not make a dent on my technology sovereignty. And this is giving something extra I didn't have, which is the collaboration. And uh, it's just been fantastic to see that because it sent strong validation from the designer community, not from the developer community, which we know we have. That's that's not an issue, right? So uh, yeah, amazing, amazing times. Yeah, that's amazing. And there's so much story behind it, I guess. I probably can even talk to Lance a lot more about this uh, but yeah, it definitely see the huge growth for PenPod, which is super exciting. I think want to also talk about, you're jumping into a market that certainly feels like there's a lot of competition, as you mentioned, right? 
and the dynamics are changing. But only a few players, only a few players. That's right, yeah, yeah. the players are actually quite a few. So this is clear where your incumbents are, which which mm-hmm. is good. And what what was the sort of the, the thoughtfulness around how you want to talk about pen pods? I guess you, there is a lot of, you talk about open standards, multi-teams, and the focus on being able to have developers care in the process. Right? Did you start with that? Or did you iterate towards eventually to find a message that actually sticks? I was wondering what the journey might look like, you know, because I think starting when he started in the first place, mm-hmm. it may not be the, all the obvious choices from day one. Or was it basically you saw the landscape, this is really all the selling points you, you started with in the beginning? No, I mean, it would be um, dishonest to say that we had this clear vision like two years or three years ago. We had the um, that collaboration ethos at the company and we were completely, you know, sold on open standards on open source. But initially, and actually we had a, a session uh, today at the time of this recording where um, one of the, uh, the you know, PenPod designers was saying how we actually have evolved in terms of the vision, right? And initially it was a good enough open source design a prototyping tool for us to escape the grasp, you know, of uh, proprietary um, design tools. But then we have the collaboration process. Actually, the the most recent incarnation of our vision, and it's very personal to us, like quite emotional, we get emotional when we talk about this, is that we want, I said, we want developers to care about the design process. But if you think about it, what we really want is to give more power to designers. That is the core. We want designers to enjoy more leverage, more respect, more freedom, more power. No tool so far have helped them achieve that. At best, the tools have allowed them to enjoy their private ghetto, but not have a very like adult conversation with developers on equal stance. So this is very complex to achieve because this is team dynamics, this is a cultural shift, but we think it is fundamental that this happens in the technology space. And what we think is that the only way we can do this is with open source and open standards. That's like the fundamental ethos that is going to fuel this change of mindset. So that is the most recent incarnation of our vision, more power to design through PenPod. It's going to be tough for a designer not to get excited about this because you know their work is considered important more valued than ever. And the tools that are getting attention are the ones that are commoditizing design, if you think about this. Are the tools that allow people that don't design, can't design, to feel that they can design. This is fine because it is it means design is accessible for our wider population. But at the same, at the same time, it is a threat for still uh, you know, fragile design community to say, okay, so everyone can design now. Everyone has an opinion on design. These tools are allowing people that don't understand design to somehow design and do like out-of-the-box design. So I think they they are going to welcome this approach which is quite, in a way, political in the technology space to give more power to design. Now, if you give more power to design, you have to take it as a zero-sum problem. You have to take it away. But one thing is to just take it forcefully or you could take it willingly. Right from developers, so I think that has been our evolution. Good enough open source design tools, so we can just enjoy our open source world. Then collaboration, 
And then actually what we want is to give more power to design and designers. You touched on something in here that I want to dig in on. And I think it's the like iterative nature of open source where you sometimes don't know exactly what the like long-term direction will be. The community informs that so much. And in this case, the community is made up of like multiple folks and like mm. multiple personas. How do you manage product direction and also just like community expectations and community desires? Because you just have versus uh, an open source community or project that's servicing kind of one core persona, you have more personas. And so I imagine just more requests and feedback and desire to take the product in different directions or the project in different directions. So how do you, how do you manage that? Cause I think that that's something that other founders could learn a lot from, especially if they're going to try and do something that's cross-functional. Yeah. I think that we are entering new territory here for an open source product because the user persona is is multiple, but not in the sense that some user personas will actually pay for the tool, you know, like biotype persona, some personas will use it or be advocates. We have very specific roles like designers and developers. So there are little ecosystems with, you know, within. And in terms of the community, right now, what we, we're making sure is that people have full transparency on our roadmap and why we have that roadmap. People know that we want to have feature parity with Figma, which is the obvious challenge for us. And so that people can migrate, right? So this is this is the refugee concept, basically. You can you can come here. This is safe. But you're not going to suffer much while you migrate. We're, we're making sure that you're fine. Actually, you're going to enjoy things that you didn't have back, you know, with all the tools. But at the same time, we are making sure that I understand that we have a strong vision about collaboration and what that means in terms of the features themselves that designers are used to for a decade. Like they're going to not be exactly the same as you would expect. They will have a twist. So typically what we get from the community is, please, would you do this like Figma? Just copy it, right? And I'll be happy. And we have to be very, you know, like honest about saying, actually not. Actually, no, we cannot do that because if we do that, you'll be trapped inside a designer silo again, and we cannot afford that. So I think we are actively asking for feedback, but at the same time, letting them know that we are building something that is cross-functional and uh, asking for feedback in that specific team dynamics where the handoff mindset has ruled how to make sure that we have a fluid, full duplex conversation. So we're trying to direct softly, you know, gently direct the feedback that we need where the new territory is rather than the old regime is, right? And so it's, um, well, it's just the nature of what we're doing. This is new for them as it is new for us. We don't have a blueprint to follow. Definitely, we are not the open source clone of anything. We're not a clone, you know? We are something beyond what exists. So when you do that and you have so few tools that make the industry standards so obvious, you have to make sure people get the right feedback to their feedback and understand the reasons why you are perhaps not following to the letter what they're asking for. Because you don't want to just be like Figma Plus, right? You want to be something different. So I think this is a um, particular challenge that we have that other open source products have faced differently. But we hope that with the rise of PenPod and open source design, so designers coming to open source as a result of all this, 
we haven't discussed this, but I think this is huge. This is a big, massive opportunity to get designers engaged with open source through open source design tools. More projects in the future will face this, being innovative at the end user level, at the user experience. And that will force core teams to be opinionated and transparent about that. Otherwise, they'll get feedback based on the industry standard and the status quo, which in some cases might be great, but at least not, you know, not in our case. So I like to ask, because I think you know, your company, even though it sounds like it's distributed remotes, but the, a lot of teams based in Spain, right? And you start a company there. You had a history of starting open source products before, I think Taiga, right? Open yes. Project management. So just kind of like to unpack your learning Right. And also learning how to run an open source based company when maybe there's not a lot of open source founders around you, physically around you. What are sort of the biggest lessons you learned maybe from your past open source projects and now leading to this? What are things you, you learn from those times that, okay, I want to do pen pot this way? And we can also talk a little bit like how you start to learn because you know, looking at your, your round press release, you have a fair number of good angels and funds, right? What do you also learn from those people as well? So I'll start with the, uh, the last part of the question. What we're learning from people coming to us and enjoying being part of the round, either as angels or uh, the advisory board, is they are passionate about making design accessible and making design open source. So they're excited about that. It's quite new and exciting. So everyone, I think, wants to bring their experience in the old regime to and be part of the new regime, the new wave, right? So we have been very careful to select and to pick individuals that have a diverse background that would add up to something quite special. And I mean, we have the former COO, uh, Eric Whitman, former CEO at Figma, you know, so, and um he was particularly excited about making design accessible to the wider population, to everyone, right? And he clearly saw how Penport could achieve that. So different people coming from different reasons, but basically you could feel how they would want to put their experience and talent to something that is really new to them too. I think that there is that this element of excitement of this is really new. This is this this is I'm not actually going to you know to impose a template I know pretty well. So that was great. Now, the first part of the question, so I've been in uh, around open source in 1997. So I've seen quite some stuff in open source. And particularly in Spain, people might not know this, but Spain has a long track record in open source activism. So it is a microcosmos, perhaps, in very talented open source hackers, like very talented, passionate, wanted to transform and, and change, uh, have an impact, positive impact in society through technology and open source technology. So I've been surrounded for 30, almost 30 years now by really amazing people. So I think like per capita, Spain has more open source hackers than just on average, right, in the world. So what we've seen is that you typically have this level zero maturity where you contribute back to open source as you use open source. Right? You want to be part of the community and you give back just a tiny portion of you have received. In our case, we thought that, or in my case, personal case, we thought that that was fine. 
that was a nice, uh, you know, it was fair balance. But at some point, we thought that we were lacking this space in design. And we always thought that someone, as always happens with open source, someone would crack it. Someone would come up with the equivalent to Blender for open source design and prototype tool. But it didn't happen. It kept not happening year after year until it was so painful for our own designers, open source designers, with a strong belief in open source and open standards that we decided to uh, build this. So I think the lesson learned here is that I don't know if we had been able to build this earlier. Sometimes it's just when it happens, when the uh, the browser technology allows you to think you can do that, right, using web standards. But I think what I would tell uh, other fellow open source activists, whether they're in Spain or elsewhere, is that think if you are waiting too much time for other people to crack something that is painful to you, right? Don't be too humble to believe that you are not up to the task, that others will come and sort that out. Perhaps you are the one <laughs> to crack it. And um, I think that's been the, the biggest, and I would not have pictured myself in 1997 or in 2007 to be CEO of Pempod and bringing open source to design and potentially design to open source. But here we are. Awesome. And I know there's a big product release coming out in January. So would love to maybe get your quick kind of summary of what that will be. And we can get folks excited about what's to come with PenPot. Yeah, that's going to be our official launch. So believe it or not, PenPot is still labeled as beta. I mean, that's a misnomer. People are using PenPot for professional work. But the announcement, the acquisition announcement we just discussed caught us by surprise, not unprepared, as we can see, but by surprise. And we decided, okay, let's, let's keep it the, the, the better label. But basically what we asked the community is, what would it take for you to migrate? I mean, for the ones that are still not convinced or have some, a ton of projects, right? And want to migrate. And they just said one thing. They said auto layout, Figma's auto layout, which is this smart composition method that allows for automatic shifting of ratios and transformations and layouts based on some rules that you apply, which makes a lot of sense when you're designing for multi-devices and, and different applications. So they said, okay, so we will do that with our twist, which is developer-friendly. Let's not forget that. And we're also going to toss in advanced components for you to take a taste, to have a taste on what the next big thing in components for design is going to look like. And we will make that officially PenPod general availability launch. So that's happening by the end, you know, at the end of January. And that is going to be, I think, massive for us. Another breaking moment for different reasons. So a lot of people are just not waiting for that. They're just saying, okay, you listen to us and you know we know your roadmap. That's the only thing we care. But some people are just saying, I just wait a bit so that the transition is smoother. So this is going to be huge because it's going to not only allow people to say, okay, actually people can have feature parity with the uh, you know top player, but their approach is truly developer inclusive. And uh, this is going to be another eye-opener moment for our target audience. And what is going to change and I was discussing this uh, earlier today, is that we are finally going to open, wide open, you know, the doors for developers. Like now is the time. You know, we have been not lobbying hard for you because we know it could be tricky. 
to get you on board too soon. But now it's actually quite fine if you join the ranks, right? So yeah, that's happening in a few weeks. And we will be formally announcing this at Fosden, which is like the biggest open source, free and open source developer event uh, happening in Brussels in Europe. So it's going to be great to be with the community and just doing demos and you know getting feedback and and just having a great time. Now, once we have that, what's next? We have said we we have to go beyond, right? And then we'll start working on the plugin architecture and the um, interactive design tokens and things that bring designers and developers closer together. We don't want to create everything uh, that we think about Pempot. We want people to just be creative on top of that. And so for that, we need the plugin architecture and just see how developers care about the design process with whatever they, they bring to the table. Yeah, conference, <laughs> new releases, all sounds super exciting. So I think we want to end on, you certainly learn a lot of lessons. I think we kind of asked a few questions around there, but I we usually end on advice you want to give to other open source founders that are early in a journey. I think it will be also interesting because a lot of open source projects are more infrastructure, you know, backend developer type of projects. You know, you're one of the fewer ones that are actually growing a lot, but fewer ones for now in this sort of application space uh, being open source. So what are our biggest advice for some other founders also want to go after this in general, open source based application that you want to be, you know, create a new ecosystem for? What are biggest advice you'll give them? I'm sure you're going to shift gears and go for the business model and talk about that a bit. One of, I think the, uh, the biggest challenges that open source companies, we are a company, right? And we, um, we want to be successful in every possible way, including business successful. One of the things we see is that when we, you go out to try to raise some money because you need, you need to have enough time to build the product and the community. You know, it's tough. It's open, you know this, open source has its own path, its own challenges. Sometimes you need just more time and time is money, right? So you go out to raise some money. It's easier if you go the infrastructure, data, cybersecurity, machine learning way, right? It is tougher when you go the end user way, like the uh, open source product that is for users. Because VCs or angels are used to think that it's important that your user is your developer, that your user is your potential contributor. They are fully engaged with you in many levels. But here, that's perhaps not the case. In our case, it's a bit tricky because designers can contribute, right? But think of any other just end user facing product that's open source. So I think the biggest advice I could give is that if you're thinking business, if you're thinking your open source product in this new realm, which is end user, not infrastructure and all that, make sure you align yourself with the right investors that get that you need time and you need to experiment a bit before you find the right business model or monetization scheme. Don't rush with the existing templates. That is just going to be, is going to kill you. So I think it's uh, particularly challenging for companies like us to make sure that we have that alignment, that motivation, and that align, yeah, that people would get it in some unfamiliar territory for open source. So it's just, just wait and have more, many more conversations that you would normally have. 
Otherwise, you're going to end up with an open source, an end user open source product that is going to try to follow the rules of proprietary SaaS. And you're going to have like the worst of both worlds, like, you know, the, the wrong business template, the wrong timing, and of course, the worst investor and the worst expectation management. Other than that, and I have many, many other pieces of advice to give, but I think I wanted to just change a bit the tone and the theme and say, this is not ideal space to raise money right now. I hope this will change in the future. I think it's really powerful advice and also just making sure that you're fully aligned with especially your early investors on what the expectations are, because I think in some ways investors can actually do more harm in a sense, like it's better to get folks like you're aligned on where you're going. So I think that's really good advice to end on. Uh, thank you so much for doing this with us. We were looking forward to this podcast for a while and it was a really awesome conversation. This was great. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoy this time. Thank you so much. 